How are y'all doing tonight? That requires an answer. How are y'all doing tonight? Good. Okay, listen, I'm used to working with kids. So if I, if I ask you a question, you've got to respond. I mean, I'm used to kids just shouting it out. I'm good. You know, they're crazy. They're wild. Listen, I love serving in the children's ministry here at Shades, but I'm so excited to be here with y'all tonight and hang out in the college ministry where I went to when I was in college, while I was at Sanford, and while I was there, I was a history major, and so I'm really excited to be here with y'all tonight. I love seeing y'all worship. Um, the kids, you know, they worship in their own way, but you guys just worship with abandon, and I love I can hear your voices, and it's just, it's a beautiful thing when the body comes together and worships Christ, and oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior we have. It's really, really awesome. So just like a good history major, I want to start us off tonight with a little bit of a history story. Just a real short story that I'm going to read to you right here. In the last days of the Civil War, the Confederate capital, capital, Richmond, Virginia, fell to the Union Army. Abraham Lincoln insisted on visiting the city. Even though he knew no one and no one knew he was coming, the slaves recognized him immediately and they thronged around him. He had liberated them by the Emancipation Proclamation and now Lincoln's army had set them free. According to Admiral David Porter, an eyewitness, Lincoln spoke to the throng around him. And check this out. This is what he said. Listen to this. My poor friends, you are now free, free as air. You can cast off the name slave and trample upon it. Liberty is your birthright. Listen to this part right here. Let the world see that you merit your freedom. Don't let your joy carry into excesses. Learn the laws and obey them. These words that Lincoln said to these newly freed slaves are a lot like the message that Jesus gives to those whom he has liberated by his death and his resurrection. But many times in our Christian life, we don't truly understand the essence of true freedom. We always say, well, we're free in Christ. We have freedom from the law. We have freedom in Jesus. But what does that actually mean? Do we understand what it means to have freedom in Christ? And tonight we're going to see, as we study Romans 6, that Paul's understanding of our new freedom in Christ is much different than our American assumption of what freedom means. Freedom is much different in Christ than what we assume freedom means based on our culture. In fact, Paul is going to go as far as to say that Christ has freed us from our sin but has made us slaves to a new master, to a new master, slaves of God. So tonight we're going to go, we just had Romans six fifteen through 7, 6 read, but I'm going to read it one more time because what I want us to do is I want to emphasize some certain parts. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through this text and I'm going to emphasize some things to you that Paul highlights in this text for us so that we can understand the way in which our new freedom relates to our freedom from the law and how we become slaves in a new way. We're no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to God. So look back with me, starting in verse 15. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. 
And having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness, I'm, excuse me, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members to slaves, as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now we're going to come back and talk about 7, 1 through 6, but I want to stop there. And right off the bat, we need to recognize something. We are faced with a question. We're faced with a question. And this question is actually very similar, it would seem, to the question that we see in 6.1. And you all talked about 6.1 last week. And so the question we see in 6.1 is this. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So in other words, Paul is asking, are we permitted to do what we want so that we can receive more grace? Because grace is abundant. So can we just do whatever we want because grace is free? And we found out very clearly that Paul states, no, grace, that's not how grace was intended to work. And you saw super clearly that the implications of unending grace imply newness of life. Okay, this is what we talked about, what y'all talked about last week. They imply newness of life and a change in our behavior. But the question posed in Romans 6.15 is different. It's different. There's a different line of thinking by which Paul is asking this question And the key here is one word, and one word that I'm going to pull out. So in 6.15, Paul asks, are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? So in other words, do we have a ticket to sin because the judgment which the law proclaimed on us is lifted by grace? Because we are no longer under the weight, under the judgment, the condemnation of the law, are we also free to sin? So the emphasis here is on the role of the law. The law is the key to the difference between the question in 6.1 and 6.15. So what follows through Romans 6, verse 16 through Romans 7.6 is the logic behind Paul's firm rejection of this assumption, right? Because we can see in verse 15, he immediately rejects the idea that the law, freedom from the law, would allow for us to do whatever we want, right? By no means. It's a pretty firm answer pretty firm, by no means. So tonight our goal is to understand and answer this question based on our new freedom in Christ. And we're going to talk about what freedom in Christ means. But Paul's answer is different from what we would expect. And this is what we're going to highlight tonight. Paul's answer is different from what we would expect when we talk about freedom. Because Paul says that we are to become slaves. We're to become slaves. And so there's a couple key things that I just want to lay down a little bit of a foundation, okay? Before we walk through the rest of this text. Because verse 16 is going to lay a foundation for us as we move forward. So look back at verse 16. Paul poses the question in 15 and then he says in 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness? Now Paul makes a really radical statement in this verse. And here's what it is. 
You are a slave. I am a slave. At this moment, every person sitting in this room is a slave. There are no exceptions. There is no difference for anybody else. It doesn't matter if they're, I don't know, if they behave better than you. It doesn't matter what they do. We are all slaves. That's a pretty radical statement for Paul to say, right? Because we're talking about freedom in Christ. But the bottom line is that we're all slaves. And Paul says, that which you obey is your master. And each of us is obeying something. Each one of you has something that you are obeying. Something that is your master. Something that dictates the way you behave, the decisions that you make. There's a master in your life. You are enslaved. Now this is a pretty big deal. But Paul gets a little more specific, even more. Right? He says you have two options. You're either a slave to sin or you are a slave to righteousness. There are no other options. Right? This is what Paul mentions in the text in verse 16. So if you're a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness, then how do we know what camp we're in? Well, right off the bat, we know, based on Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone is in the first camp to start out. Every one of us starts as a slave to sin. But for those of us who are believers in Christ and have accepted him as our Savior and our Lord, we've been justified at the moment of our conversion. And something happens. This is awesome, okay? This is, le- this is what, see, I'm from California, so this is legit, okay? This is legit, all right? Check this out. As soon as you made that decision, something happened in regards to the status of your slavery, At the moment of your conversion, your master's changed. Your master changed. At that moment when you said, Lord, you are going to be my Lord and my God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he raised from the dead. I believe he died for my sins. When you said that, when you decided that he was going to be your Lord, your master changed. Your master changed. And you became a slave of God. Instead of being mastered by sin, you were mastered by God. So what does a slave of God look like? This is the question I, wanna, I want us to answer as we walk through this text. What characteristics make up a slave of God? Because we're going to see in Paul's argument that he lays out certain characteristics that help us to understand who is a slave of God or what characterizes a slave of God. And so the first thing I want to give you, if you're, take, if you're a note taker, these are the notes right here. I'm a note taker. I'm an underliner. All right. I'm like OCD. So I'm all about that kind of stuff. All right. So the first thing I want to give you is this. The slave of God is freed from the law. The slave of God is freed from the law. In verse 15 and 16, we see, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? So that, oh, wrong, wrong verse. Excuse me. 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are under the law? or because we are not under the law, but under grace. And so there's an implied fact in this question. Right off the bat, we see we're no longer under the law. If we've received the grace of Jesus Christ as a slave to righteousness, as a slave to God, we are no longer under the weight of the law. So why do we need to be freed from the law? What in the first place has caused us to need this freedom? And so in order for us to understand the freedom from the law that we have in Jesus Christ, we must understand the role of the law in our condemnation, okay? So the first thing we need to understand, the law is not inherently bad, okay? So there's this assumption in the church 
that when Paul talks about the law, when the Bible talks about the law, it's bad, right? Because we're freed from it. So obviously, like, it's a bad thing. Like, if we need to be freed from something, then we were enslaved to it. And so, but the law was not intended to be a bad thing. In fact, God didn't write the Ten Commandments as a means to condemn our sin, but he wrote them, he wrote the law, so that we could be a representation of his holiness to the world. This is the covenant that he made in the Old Testament with the Israelites. He made the law and he said, live by these rules. And when the nations around you see that you lived by these rules, they'll know me. They'll see me. They'll see my holiness. And you will be a representation to the world. But you and I know that didn't happen, right? In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they're given a law. And what do they do? They do the opposite of the law, right? They eat of the fruit. They break God's law. And the very definition of a broken law of God is sin. That, that's what sin is. When we break a law that God has given us, it's sin. And so immediately the law's purpose has changed. The law was meant to help us stay holy as a representation to the people around us. But instead the law has become condemnation on us because we have broken the law and we have let sin enter our bodies. And so law condemns sin and it incurs the wrath of God. Instead of being a way that we can show God's holiness to the world, it has become a way that we are judged, condemned, and we incur the wrath of God. Man, that's a serious statement, right? The wrath of God is a serious thing. The slave is bound under the weight of the law and the result of that weight is death. Look back at verse 16. Paul makes this really, really clear, right? Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. If you are a slave of sin, if you are living in sin, the result of that lifestyle is death. It's death. So if we are slaves of sin under the law, we are under God's wrath towards our sin for breaking his law. And the result is going to be death. But we know that there's good news, right? We know that there's good news in reference to our relationship with the law. And that's this, that Christ fulfills the law for us. He's fulfilled the law for us. But this is the glory of the gospel. Because look what follows in verse 16. If we're slaves of obedience, then it leads to righteousness. And there's only one person that is righteous, and that's God. So when we become a slave of God... We inherit the qualities of righteousness which the law was supposed to be our guide. The law was supposed to guide us so that we could be righteous examples to the world. So what happened then? Well, Jesus fulfilled the law in his perfection and he has shown us grace. We have traded the law for grace. We've traded the law for grace. Now here's the common misconception when it comes to this understanding. Because we're freed from the law as slaves of God, we feel as though we're obligated after we're converted to try and obey the law, right? We feel like because Christ has given us grace and we're no longer under the law, we're like, okay, well, like now that Christ has forgiven me, like I need to change, I need to change my behavior, I need to change what I'm doing because like I'm not, I'm not worthy of it and I need to earn it back, right? Like I need to earn back what Christ has done for me. But this was not the purpose of Christ dying for us. Slaves of righteousness are free from the law and they're privy to a new master. We're not slaves of the law so that we can go back 
to the law. We're not slaves of sin so that we can fulfill the law, but Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. And so we have a new master. We have a new master. Now, this is not an excuse to sin freely, and y'all saw that last week. But we are not expected to keep the law after we become slaves of righteousness. And this is the good news. We are made free from the law through Christ. So here's the question then. I'm telling you that if you are a slave of sin and you're converted as a follower of Jesus Christ, you become a disciple of Jesus Christ and you become a slave of God, then how is that freedom? You went from being a slave to being a slave. Does that make any sense? It does not, right? You went from being a slave to sin, a slave to your own desires, a slave to your own affections, to a slave of God. So you went from slave to slave. You just switched masters. How is this freedom? Well, verse 17 and 18 are going to help us to understand how this is freedom. Look at 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Here's what I want you to underline your Bibles. I told you I'm an underliner. Have become obedient from the heart. Obedient from the heart. In verse 17, within these few words, we see the difference between a slave of sin and a slave of God. Obedience in our slavery to God is an overflow and an act from the heart. So here's the second characteristic of a slave of God. A slave of God is freed from the law, from the condemnation of the law. But a slave of God is obedient from the heart. He's obedient from the heart. At the moment of our conversion, there's a simultaneous transfer that takes place, right? We talked about this. We become slaves. We go from slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness. It immediately switched. But when our masters switch, something else switches inside of our hearts. Check this out. This is really important right here, okay? When we are converted and we become slaves of God, something else changes in our hearts. Our affections, our desires, our wants, shift from what we want to God's plan, to God's purposes. Because of the love and the allegiance we have to our new master, our wants and our priorities align with his. The result that takes place is key. Obedience is no longer an act of forced will from the master to the slave, but instead is an overflow of the slave's desire to please the master. Okay, now I know that was a lot, so I'm going to say that again. Obedience is no longer an act of forced will from the master to the slave, but instead is an overflow of the slave's desire to please the master. Isn't that awesome? We no longer are slaves who are commanded to do things that we are forced to do. We don't have a choice in the matter when we're a slave to sin. That is our only option. We react of our sinful nature. And sin leads to more sin. And we're going to see that in a second. But when we're a slave of God, our affections change and our motivations change. And our heart is turned towards God. So what we want doesn't become important anymore. But what God wants in his purposes becomes important. A theologian puts it this way. Our slavery to God is not a relationship of forced obedience, but a slavish devotion to the purposes and plans of the newly beloved master. The newly beloved master. It's kind of like this, okay? I've got an example for you. I hate doing the dishes. 
I hate them. I hate dishes. I don't want to clean up your half-eaten plate of food. It's disgusting and it's gross. And I already have this horrible fear of like half-eaten food. I don't know what my problem is, okay? But I'm not, I hate dishes. They're the worst. I will wait till the last possible second. But there's one person in my life who hates dishes even more than I do. And that is my wife, Anna. She hates doing the dishes, like loathes doing the dishes. She will wait until the last second. We both do really, but she will wait until the last second to do the dishes. They'll just sit in the sink. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You're a college student. Don't look at me like you don't know what you're, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the dishes pile up and they pile up and they pile up. And then you start to smell them from the other room. And you're like, yeah, I should probably do the dishes. Like that's how it is at our house. Okay. But something changed when I got married about my view on doing the dishes. Here's what changed. No longer do I dread doing the dishes like I did before because I know that when I do the dishes, it shows how much I love my wife and she's filled with joy and she's overwhelmed with happiness because she doesn't have to do the dishes, right? But the real thing that she sees is that I love her enough to put my wants, not doing the dishes, aside so that I can do them for her. It's out of my love for her that I do this. Now, this is not a perfect illustration, okay? But track with me here. Our love for God and our desire to see his purposes fulfilled in us propels us to do what is unnatural and maybe even what we do not prefer. Our love for God propels us to this. And this is what slavery to God is. This is what slavery to God is. Our love for God changes our desires and we act out of our love for him. Does that mean it's easy? Definitely not. Our natural tendency is to live in the flesh. Our natural tendency is to live in the flesh, but because of our love for God and our devotion to him, we are motivated by love and that love is manifested in obedience. Look at the words Paul uses in 17 and 18, words like obedient from the heart. It's obedience that stems from a motivation for God's purposes to be seen in the world, for his glory to be known, for people to come to a saving knowledge of him. He talks about the teaching that we're committed to, the truth that we know, the obedience that we do. So here's where some of us miss this. And I I can say this because I miss this. I'm laughing because Chad is in the back. Chad was the university pastor when I was in college. Okay, and he... He knows all about, you know, he knows all about my struggles and all that kind of stuff, okay? So I'm telling you right now, here's where we missed it, okay? Some of us think that changing our behavior is going to defeat the sins in our heart. And we think that if we modify our behavior to fit the law of God, then that is sanctification, Instead of being motivated for our love for God and our want to see Jesus proclaimed, to see him grow in our hearts, to be sanctified by him, our behavior is modified so that we can feel better about ourselves, feel better about where we fit in the law, right? Well, if I could just like not do this, if I could just not do this sin, if I could just not think this thought, if I could just not do this action, then God would probably like love me more and like he would be more evident in my life, right? I wouldn't feel so bad about how I compare next to the laws of God and my lack of obedience would be made up. But that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that we are motivated from the heart 
to obedience. And this obedience leads to sanctification. Slavery to God is most evidently expressed in obedience of the person who claims such a title, a slave of God. And true surrender is when we give everything over to God and by the power of his spirit, our deepest desires and affections shift and align with his. So how then is this freedom? How is this freedom? We're still talking about being slaves of God, slaves of sin. We become slaves of God, but how is that freedom? How does freedom fit into that? Well, the freedom we find in God can be defined like this, okay? True freedom in Christ is entrusting our ultimate delight and good to the one who knows what is best for us. True freedom in Christ is entrusting our ultimate delight and good to the one who knows what is best for us. This is freedom in slavery. This is the freedom that God created and intended us to enjoy, that we would delight in his goodness, that we would see the power and the glory of the creator God and the freedom that we have is that we are no longer under the law. He doesn't see us that way, but he sees Jesus instead of us. And we can delight in his goodness. We have a relationship with him again. We're no longer separated from him because of our sin. God intended true freedom to be lived out in obedience to his standards. Standards which are the highest and the best for us. That's what freedom is. And so when we are slaves to God propelled by our heart, by our love for God to be obedient to him, that is freedom. Freedom to know that we are loved, that God sees us and has forgiven us and we can bask in the goodness of God. I don't know about you, but that is awesome. That is really, really exciting. So let's go back and let's look at verse 19 through 23 now. We've kind of talked about what it means to be a slave of God, what it means to be a slave of sin, how that transfer takes place and we're, we're, we, we have new allegiance to a new master, okay? That slaves of sin are dictated by their sin, by their master. They do what, what the flesh desires, but slaves of God are propelled by their obedience. And so look at 19, let's start in 19. It says this, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. I love this verse right here. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ our Lord. So the first characteristic we talked about is the slave of God is freed from the law. The second, the slave of God, the slave of God is obedient from the heart. And here's the third thing, the slave of God is sanctified and receives eternal life. This is the promise of freedom in our slavery. This is the promise that God gives us. This is what Paul is saying in these verses. The result of our slavish devotion to God is the sanctification of our souls for the preparation of eternal life with him. 
what a glorious end that is. What an awesome thing we have to look forward to. And the promise for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who are slaves of God, is that we will one day be purified so that we can stand in God's presence and enjoy him forever. No longer weighed down by our sin, by our flesh, we will stand before him, sanctified, purified, and we can enjoy him and worship him forever. Isn't that awesome? This is what Paul is saying in verses 20 through 21. Paul exhorts his readers to remain steadfast in their devotion to God, remembering the bad fruit which resulted in their obedience to sin. Instead, they're they're to produce fruit which leads to sanctification and ultimately eternal life. So Paul says, remember the old ways. Remember the bad fruit which you once produced. It led to nothing but shame. It was shameful, but now that you are a slave of God, the fruit that you produce will lead to sanctification and the end eternal life. So the culmination of these results is expressed in verse 23, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The final end for the slave of sin is the wrath of God under the judgment of the law. And the result is death. That's it. The result is death. But here's the good news. For those who are slaves of God, committed and devoted to a master and obedient out of their heart, it is these who receive the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus. So what's the answer then to Paul's question? What's the answer to the question in in verse 15? Well, Paul finishes this section in Romans with an example for us. So let's quickly roll through this right here. Verse one of chapter seven. Or do you not know, brothers, that I'm speaking to those of you who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by the law and her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while, the, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Paul finishes this section of Romans with an example of marriage, right? He says this. He describes a woman in marriage who loses her husband. Her husband has died. And Paul says because her husband has died, she is no longer required to be faithful to him because he has passed on. He's gone. That commitment that he made, that binding law which she made with him is no longer valid because he has passed on and she can live with another man. She can marry another man. But Paul's point here is this. If the man has not died, then she's committing adultery. She's breaking her promise to this other man. She's breaking the commitment that she's made to this other man, this tie that she has, this binding law, and she's committing adultery with this other man. She's making a new commitment, and it it doesn't work that way. The law doesn't work that way. So here's what Paul is saying. 
It's the same way that Christ frees us from the law that allows us to bind ourselves to him in slavish devotion for sanctification. The key here is that, the, that we die to the law. We die to the law. We are no longer required or judged or held under the condemnation of the law because that part is killed. It's dead. And when that happens, we can bind ourselves to a new master. And the new master is Christ. It's because of Jesus that we have died to the law and have devoted ourselves to God so that we can bear good fruit. This is the answer of Paul's question. And verse 5 and 6 help us to understand that before Christ died to the law, we were slaves to sin and we were forced to produce bad fruit, which leads to death. But Christ defeated the law for this purpose, right here, so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and be slaves of God, producing good fruit for his glory. So what does this look like practically? I just have a quick story that I want to tell. We're finishing up. Y'all are, I don't have to tell y'all to be paying attention like the kids. You know, Usually they're like, Whoa, looking around, but y'all are so focused. It's awesome. All right, so I'm just going to call him Pastor John. All right, There's this pastor in South Africa. Okay, I've been to South Africa quite a few times. And so Pastor John was the pastor of a church called the Masapumalele Baptist Church. Okay, That is for real, Masapumalele. That is the name of the township. It's the name of the church. And he is the pastor of this church. And Pastor John was known for his proclamation of the gospel. This guy was not afraid. And Masapumalele was not a very friendly community, okay? There were some bad things. There was violence, drugs. The drug lords ran the town. There were, there were corrupt police. This township is not in good shape. And Pastor John would go into the streets from his church and proclaim the gospel and tell these people, you can be freed from these things. You can be freed from these drugs. You don't have to do these sins in order to survive. Jesus has another way for you. And so there was a man in this neighborhood who did not like the message that Pastor John was preaching. And this man was the drug dealer for the neighborhood. Now, it's amazing when you drive through these neighborhoods, they're, I mean, 10 shacks, trash of houses, 12 people living in 10 by 10 squares, okay? And you're driving along and all of a sudden there's a house and it looks like someone took a house out of Vestavia and dropped it in Africa. In the midst of all these shacks, there's just this huge house and that is the drug dealer's house. And this is the guy who on a Wednesday night while Pastor John was preaching, walks into the church and shoots the pastor down for his message in the middle of a service. And he died. He passed on. This man was not held accountable for what he did. He got away. He escaped. The police, they never really looked into it. But something amazing happened. And here's the part I want you to hear. This is what it means to live in newness of life. The wife of Pastor John got in touch with the family. The family of the man who killed her husband. And she invited them over for dinner. Okay? She invites them over for dinner. Okay? They killed her husband. And she invites them and she invites them. And finally they come. And do you know what she tells them? I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm going to miss my husband, but you know what? I forgive you. And you know who else forgives you? Jesus forgives you. Jesus forgives you. And he wants to know you. He loves you. He died for you. That's what it means to live in newness of life. Do you see the radical transformation? This is what a slave of God looks like. She said, I'm not going to let the world dictate the way I react. 
but I'm going to respond with the gospel as a slave of God from obedience from the heart. I don't know about you, but that would not be my response. That would not be my response. A slave of God is characterized by their obedience from the heart and the new way of life in which they walk. This woman understood what it meant to walk in newness of life as a slave of God. These people are set apart. Slaves of God are set apart. They're different from the world. They're marked by obedience and love, which comes from God. And just like the pastor's family in this story, we are called to be different from the world, characterized by our obedience and love, and by our selflessness and our kindness, our purity and our praise. But we're, more than anything, we're characterized by our new master. We're characterized by our new master. So as we finish up, here's the question I want to ask y'all tonight, okay? Who is the master over your life? Who is your master? Paul is clear, we all have a master. There's no middle ground. You can't be partially in one camp and partially in another. Either you are a slave of sin or you're a slave of God. And when we accept and devote our lives to Jesus Christ, we're telling him that he will be the master of our lives. So what areas of your life are you still enslaved to sin? Is it your sexual behavior? Is it your judgment and your view of other people? Maybe you have a secret sin which nobody else knows about. Are you enslaved by that sin? Does that sin own you? Or is Jesus your master? Are you enslaved to the desires of sin or are you free to live as a devoted slave to the cause of Jesus Christ for the sanctification of your heart. So here's how I want to finish. On Sunday, we heard Pastor Danny talk about Matthew 6, when Jesus is speaking to the crowd about treasure, right? What is your treasure? And Jesus' words are really poignant for us right now, so I just want to read them because they're better than anything else I could finish with. Jesus has got some pretty sweet words. He says this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or he'll love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. Each one of us has a master. We're either enslaved to sin or enslaved to God. And my question for you tonight is, who is the master of your life? And if there's an area of your life where you are still enslaved to sin, surrender it to Jesus. Surrender it to Jesus. That's why he died for you. He loves you. Who is the master of your life? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for tonight, God. We thank you for Jesus, for sanctification as slaves of God. Lord, we know that it is not easy to surrender every part of our life to you, but God, that is what you have called us to do. So Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would come into this room and it would convict us of the sin which we are still enslaved to. God, help us to see those areas in our life where we're holding on to the chains. And God, free us from those things. God, help us to experience true freedom as a slave of God, as a slave to you. And God, we thank you. We thank you that as a slave of God, we are promised to be sanctified, to be purified. And the result is eternal life. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.